0: Welcome to Radiant Church and Happy Easter. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSE.com and click, I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Have you ever experienced a major letdown? You're know, like, a, this is a really big disappointment. Few things, I think, sting more than the feeling of being disappointed, right? My three-year-old, he loves to eat. I mean, he loves food, and uh, sometimes I'm going to the fridge, he'll follow me, and his hands will be in the air, and he's smiling, and he's ready for a snack. Um, in fact, there's a certain drawer next to the fridge that contains the snack cups and snack pouches that we put things like applesauce in. and it'll open that drawer expecting that I'm going to get him a snack only to realize that <laughs> I'm not. And then when that happens, crocodile tears flow, his face swells up. What, what's he experiencing? He's experiencing disappointment <laughs> in full force. None of us like feeling disappointed. And Often, we can feel hopeless once disappointment really begins to set in, which is really what disappointment leads to. It's hopelessness. It's the absence of hope. Things don't turn out the way you hoped they would turn out. Maybe things in your job didn't turn out the way you had hoped they would. Maybe your marriage didn't turn out the way that you had hoped. Maybe expectations for your kids did not turn out the way you had hoped. That's right. Hopelessness is a dark feeling. There's a story in the Bible about two men who understood what it felt like to walk in the light that hope can bring. But they also experienced just how quickly that light can be snuffed out by the darkness of disappointment. These two guys had gotten caught up in all the excitement surrounding who Jesus was, the miracles, the ministry, the whole experience. In fact, they were so captivated by Jesus, they even became his followers. And as they followed him, they had high hopes. They they hoped that Christ would bring in this new era of peace and prosperity and freedom, for the nation of Israel. They had heard, maybe even witnessed Jesus perform incredible miracles, raising the dead, feeding thousands with a few fish and bread, healing the sick. They had seen Him teach about God in a way which gripped not only their hearts and made sense, but compelled them, really, to follow. Their hopes, however, were crushed on a dark Friday. They were so sure that Jesus was the person, the King, the Savior, who was worth giving up everything to follow. But now his lifeless body hung on a cross. Disappointment, hopelessness, darkness. It set in for these guys as they turned their backs on the city of Jerusalem, the city where the light of their hopes had just been put out by the darkness of disappointment. Jesus was dead. And, and, and with him were, were all their hopes and all their dreams. Fear gripped his followers. Despair engulfed them. No one really knew what to do next. Some actually hid in rooms behind locked doors in the city. But these two decide to go back home to a little town called Emmaus. And as they set out on their journey, a stranger comes along. Mood changes everything. Luke 24 verse 13. Check this out. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. They talked and discussed about these things. Jesus himself suddenly came, and he began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Look at that. Verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, uh, Cleopas, replied, you must be the one person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened the last few days. I mean, what things, Jesus asked. Well, the, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. and He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Verse 22, he continues, Then some women from our group of his followers, they were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who had told them that Jesus is alive. And some of our men, they even ran out to see. And sure enough, his body, it was gone, just as the women had said. And then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writing of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We don't get a glimpse into the conversation these two guys had as they first leave the city of Jerusalem. But can you imagine for a moment like what that conversation must have been like? You know, I just don't get it. You know, Jesus had all these things to say about bringing us into God's kingdom and how He was the one who would get us in. And now look where that's gotten Him, like He's dead. Yeah, but do you really think it would all go down like this? I don't know, who knows? Right now, nothing just makes sense to me. (laughs) And as they're walking, Here comes this stranger that Luke says is Jesus, and he joins them on this journey. Now, they don't know it's Jesus. This is one of my favorite stories. They don't know it's Him. You know, we read that God kept them from recognizing Him. Who who says God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? Why why would God do that, though, too? Well, I think think for a moment the reason God would do that is because I I think He wants them to understand that, listen, you, you need to learn a lesson about trusting in my promises. I told you! He would rise from the dead, right? The Scripture has said that. Jesus you know, said that He would rise again. you got to trust me here. And so as they're walking along in the darkness of hopelessness and disappointment, what happens in the passage is Jesus begins to draw out from them the lessons and teachings they had been given from Scripture, from Himself, and so a gradual revelation Begins, And the light of hope they once had burning within them begins to flicker and gradually build as they talk with Christ along the way. In other words, their hope was rekindled. One of the great victories the resurrection of Christ gives us here today is hope if you're struggling with disappointment, if you're walking in the darkness of hopelessness, you can change that today. You can have hope rekindled in your life. Christ rose from the dead to give us hope. He rose from the dead to give us victory where we only feel defeat. He rose from the dead to forgive us where we all went wrong. He rose from the dead to give us life where there is only death. When Jesus rekindles your hope, He becomes the light which shatters our darkness. And as the three of them walk towards Emmaus, Jesus reveals God's plan to save humanity. You have to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis, to understand why God crafted this plan to save mankind. Everything in the beginning was perfect. It was as it should be. There's a Hebrew term for this, by the way. It's called shalom. Shalom is the state of things as God intends them to be. Perfect harmony, perfect peace. You know, people today, they're, they're working so hard to create a perfect, harmonious, utopian world. But that world did exist in Genesis 1 and 2 until the first two people, Adam and Eve, ate from the one tree God said not to eat from. It was, it was that one tree whose fruit would bring death. So that action produced sin, and the perfect state of things, shalom, right, was shattered, and this sin brought real darkness into a world full of light, and it separated man from God. So the only connection humanity had with God, came on an, you know, on an intimate level anyway, came through a handful of people who were privileged to enter Enter God's presence one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, a single animal representing all the people of Israel would be sacrificed as a payment for the people's sin. Well, Jesus' death not only became the payment for humanity's sin during his lifetime, it became the final payment for your sin, for my sin, the sin of every person who's ever walked this planet. His death on the cross forgave us, but his resurrection from the dead, it restored us. Jesus' resurrection allows us to have a renewed relationship with God. When Christ died, we we read in Luke 23, a great earthquake hit, and the curtain in the temple to this place called the Holy of Holies, it was torn apart. Remember how I said the priests experienced God's presence, right? Only the priests, and it happened one time a year, and only one could go in and experience it. Well, the Holy of Holies is where that took place. And when Christ died, that curtain, which was several inches, maybe even feet thick, it tore apart in an almost very symbolic way. Because no longer would you have to go through a middleman to connect with God. Now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you can go to God yourself. You can have a relationship with God on a personal level, the way that He intended all the way back in Genesis. The story continues with the men arriving in the town. Look at verse number 28. Now by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And so Jesus acted as if he were going a little further, but they begged him, hey, stay, stay the night with us. You know, it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. You can only imagine, right, the looks in their faces in that, in that room. You know, we're in the shadow of, of Death Valley where we are right here, okay? Most people bleed orange and purple in, in Clemson and Seneca. When Deshaun Watson threw that last second touchdown pass to beat Bama, and when the Natty, how did you react if you're a Tigers fan? Well, you, you were jumping, you were screaming, some of y'all were crying, let's be honest, okay? You are running laps around the living room, you were surprised and excited. That is how I've always pictured these two guys in Emmaus. As soon as Christ disappears, they're surprised, they're excited. He's not dead, he's alive. Holy cow, what did we do? Well, look at verse 32, they said to each other, did Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And then they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said the Lord has really risen. And he appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told them their story about how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread, and just as they were telling about it, look at this, Jesus himself was suddenly standing in the room among them. Peace be with you, he said, but the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I bet. Jesus goes on to show them his hands, shows them his feet, shows where the nails had gone through and then he takes them through the scriptures, just as he did with our two guys coming to Emmaus. He shows how the scriptures pointed to his death, how they pointed to his resurrection. The disappointment which had darkened their spirits, well, now it had been shattered by the rekindled flame of hope, which burned so brightly within them. I'm telling you today, Jesus is the light which shatters the darkness. These two followers, you know, they connected the dots from all they had seen and heard from Jesus in the past, from the scriptures he'd given them, from the scriptures they had read, and the light, the flame of hope, it rose up within them and restored their focus. These two men walked to Emmaus in darkness. We had hoped, is kind of how they started the story, but now they... They leave and hurry back to Jerusalem, running in the light, shouting, He's alive! He's alive! Jesus is alive, guys! Their focus shifted right back to Jesus. They didn't focus on the corrupt system that allowed him to die. They didn't focus on the restraints and legalism of religion. They didn't focus on the circumstances surrounding the events that weekend. Their sole focus was on the risen Savior. And this focus changed their lives forever. They run from this obscure little town to an important city of purpose. The resurrection of Christ, you know what it does? It rekindles our hope. It renews our relationship. It restores our focus. But in doing so, the resurrection also brings us to a place of purpose. My life has meaning because Christ rose again. My life has purpose because Jesus lives. Because His resurrection proves to me God's promises are true. And God's promises are working for the good for those who follow Him. The resurrection... It's a game changer. I love Easter because Easter is the ultimate story of hope. Can I ask you just a personal question today? Why are you watching? You know, why, why, why are you listening? Is it because Easter is around? you got to do the religious thing to kind of check that box off, you know? Easter doesn't have to be, and really it shouldn't be, another notch in your tradition. I want you to get introspective for a moment. Isn't there a part of you tuning in here right now because you have or you desire hope. You're hoping there's some element of truth to this God thing, to this Easter story about a man named Jesus who died and came back to life a few days later. You're hoping maybe this, you know, maybe today it's all going to come together for you, that you can understand the power of the Easter story. You're hoping there's a chance your life perhaps takes a big U-turn in the right direction. But what's prevented you from merely hoping this story is true? from hoping it has the power to change you, to believing the power of the resurrection can change you. At any given church, if you were to walk in on a Sunday, you'd find story after story of rekindled hope, renewed relationship, and restored focus. You'll find people who've spent time in prison, who've gone through messy divorces, who were unabashed atheists, and those who grew up in church. You know the one thing they all have in common? Jesus. The power of the resurrection changed their lives and it can change your life forever too. So, what if you gave following Christ a chance today? What if you left this Easter message differently? What if you allowed the power of the resurrection to change your life? Well, you can have rekindled hope, you can have a renewed relationship, you can have restored focus in your life today. You can move from darkness to light, you can discover your purpose. You just have to make the decision to begin the incredible journey of faith. And my prayer is that God will open your eyes in this very moment, that your hearts will burn within you as you discover this new life in Christ. So that's you today. Here's what I want to do. I I want to say a prayer for you. In fact, it's, it's a model prayer, meaning I want you to say something similar as I'm praying. You can repeat the same words I'm repeating, or you can just say them in your own words, your own way but say them along with me here if you're ready for a life change. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he came and died for us so we could be free. God, I pray for those today who are wanting to uh, have a change in, in their life, saying today's the day I need to try Jesus. I need to give this a shot. Lord, I pray you would forgive their sins. That's the first thing you want to pray for. God, forgive me. Forgive me for the wrong that I've done. Forgive me for the sin I've committed. I've done things, Lord, that I'm not proud of. I've done things that have gone against your standards and who you are. And I I, I know that I can't make myself right. I can't clean myself up. I can't do this on my own. That's why I need you. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my wrong. Make my heart new. Make my life, God, brand new. Give me a new start. Be my Savior today. And don't just be my Savior, but I want to make You Lord, because I don't want to call the shots. I've done my own thing. I've seen where that's gotten me. I I don't want to live that way. I want to live for You. You have a plan for my life. You have a purpose for my life. I want to live according to that plan and that purpose. So, from this day forward, I'm going to serve You. I'm going to follow You. I'm going to submit myself to You. It's not about me anymore. It's all about you. Be Lord of my life. Lord, I thank you for those who prayed that prayer today. To accept you as Savior and Lord. They're now in your kingdom, they're now in your family. They've now been forgiven, they've now been restored. They've now had hope rekindled in their lives again. We love you we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.